0: Hello and welcome to the Interior Design Business, the monthly podcast produced by the Interior Design Community for the Interior Design Community. My name is Jeff Hayward, and with my co-presenter Susie Rumbold, Creative Director of ToSuto Interiors, and two very special guests, we will be exploring evolution and revolution in pattern and its application in interior design. We're recording today in the Christian Lee Showroom at Chelsea Harbour in the Design Centre Room
1: 408. In the third decade of the 21st century, designers could be forgiven for feeling overwhelmed by the colossal variety of pattern available to them. Fabrics, wallpapers and tiles are embellished with patterns created by man, while stone, timber and other materials provide us with the ever-changing patterns that occur in the natural world. Throughout history, much of man's ingenuity has been spent designing cunning patterns and developing techniques to apply them to cloth and other materials. And today, new production techniques mean that pattern is now only limited by the designer's imagination. But what is it that designers need to know about the application of pattern? How can we learn to use it with confidence? And how can we encourage our clients to welcome pattern into their world? Welcome to the interior design business.
0: Today we're joined by Christian Lee, Managing Director of the Fabric Company, Christian Lee, and Philip Sykes, Reader in Textile History at the Manchester Metropolitan University. Welcome to you both.
2: Thank you. Thank you. So pleased to be here.
0: Now, before we begin, can you just briefly introduce yourselves?
3: So I'm Christian Lee. Um, My sort of history was that um, I was born into textiles. My family was Arthur H. Lee. My great-grandfather was Arthur H. Lee. And we had a a weaving mill in Birkenhead, which actually closed in 1970. That's a a separate story altogether. And then I really followed into a course of textiles. It was sort of inherently inside me. And I ran a business for 30 years called Zimmer and Road and established them in, in the UK. And then I was sort of looking forward to retiring and just sort of five years prior to my retirement, my lovely wife, Jilly was diagnosed with a brain tumour and lo and behold she's given 14 months and bless her she survived four years but she left me on my retirement date and I was left doing the first lockdown thinking what on earth am I going to do she always encouraged me to do what I wanted to do, and that was to start up my own business. So I was very lucky to be able to start Christian Lee. I was very lucky to go into business with Matt Gomez from Turnal and Gigon. And we're a separate company inside his group. And the ethos of what we're trying to do is after all the care and help she had with the NHS, we also want to give back. So every meter we sell we shall give one pound to the NHS. That's amazing. And that's where we are today. Fantastic. Brand new.
0: Fantastic. And Philip, follow that, please, if you can.
2: <laughs> a hard app to follow. Um, I'm Philip Sykes. I'm a reader in textile history at Manchester Metropolitan University. Um, I, my specialist study is uh, Calico Printers, textile pattern books, um, and this has given me... I've been pursuing this for about 30 years now and it's given me inroads into many uh, important uh, business archives in, in especially in the UK. Um, so I, I I have a great knowledge of pattern books and and pattern from looking at swatches um, but I'm very envious of people as in this room Um, who look at entire lengths of of fabrics. (laughs) So um, I'm I'm here really through Christian. Um, We we met each other when I was working on the centenary exhibition of Arthur H. Lee and Sons. Uh, uh, It was the centenary of their establishment in Birkenhead, um, which was in 2007 at the Williamson Art Gallery. What was so interesting about the Lee family is is how people seem to have inherited particular traits that that follow through the the entire sequence of generations. Um, Christian, you you come from Thorold Lee, the the eldest son, um, who was the inventive brain. Um, He he got the inventive side, so I I see that in you as well.
3: That's kind of you, Philip.
2: (laughs) Anyway, I've gone on too long. Yeah, but <laughs> no, I, just
3: to sort of back, Philip, Philip obviously, and I work together with the arthritic, and his knowledge is quite phenomenal. So I think we're very lucky to have him to give a more academic approach to patterns.
1: But then you bring your passion, which is something that's always been evident. I mean, I've known you for a quarter of a century now and your, your, your knowledge and um, passion for fabrics and for patterning fabrics has always been something that's incredibly impressive.
3: Yeah, well, it's something that I've absolutely inherently loved. And I think I've been very lucky because every day I wake up, I always look forward to going to work. And I've spent my whole 30 years doing that. And I think that's fantastic. And if I go back to my great grandfather, Arthur H. Lee, he was a great traveler. And he collected lots of things and what he was mostly inspired by was nature and I think if pattern starts anywhere it starts in nature and it's ah, how we as men or women put it all together really in terms of design.
1: So if we if we sort of kick off then I mean what what actually maybe this is one for Philip what does what does pattern actually do What would you say is the purpose of pattern?
2: Um, I, I was looking last night at, at Amy de la High's, um, new book Ravishing the Rose in Fashion, and she starts with a quote from Charles James, who says, "Fashion is like radium, or the essence of roses; it needs to be diluted." in in order not to overwhelm the senses. And I wonder if pattern is maybe to do with that. You know, fashion can be quite intense. Uh, Pattern is a way of making it, is domesticating it, making it suitable to live with. And
0: what drives fashion in pattern?
2: Oh dear, what drives fashion in general? it's, It's always been perplexing. I mean, there are no real rules. And yet, we feel bound by fashion, so it's a continual philosophical question, what is fashion, how does it originate, why do fashions change? I think it's the human mind is, is attuned to novelty, so we we get bored and we want change, and um, that seems to drive what we call fashion, but... How it has this immense force uh, upon us, I, I don't know.
1: But I suppose pattern is an easy way to evoke change too, isn't it? Um, a lot of things about our interiors you can't alter, just thinking about it. You know, you're not going to really fundamentally change the shape of a chair because it has to suit the human frame. But the easiest way to change the chair is to actually change what you're covering it in, which probably is going to be a, a, new, a new pattern.
2: Yes, and, and, and fabric, it, it, that's what textiles do so well. You know, and they not only can fit onto things, but they can unify a room. And I I think that's how pattern is often used. It it has that unifying
3: function, um, whether it's through colour or motif. That
1: was something you mentioned earlier, Christian, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, I mean, if if I sort of go through my career, if you look at the sort of the fashion, the catwalk, we as an industry behind the catwalk we're about sort of 6 months to a year behind and if you look at it now you see the fa- you see the fashion catwalk going down and we are probably months away but what is instinctively linked in terms to not just pan its colour and its colour that tends to be the fashion i think
1: so people take the same document the same pattern fabric. And just by updating the colors, they give it an entirely new lease of life and make it relevant again.
3: Yeah, we've, we've been through a sort of sea of beige and gray. And now, thank heavens, we're coming back to color colour again. And I think color is lovely. So that's what's leading the fashion, really.
1: But do you think that the sea of beige and gray was a reaction to what went on in the, in the 90s, the 80s and the 90s, when we were just kind of drowning in massively over the top floral chintzy designs? <laughs>
3: Everything has a reaction. And I think, you know, if you, if I go back to my grandparents, I, it was a sea of chintz, really. And uh, and I can remember, and we, and now, you know, I don't want to have that look, but I, I do like the floral, but it has to be light and it has to be. So that is a fashion. So it's not as heavy and, and it's much lighter to live with. But I think having just gone through COVID and lockdown, everybody being centered on their homes, I think the home has become a really important hub to us all, and it's really important that you know we feel very very comfortable it's it's a, it's a place of safety Mm. and that's where we come back having been out all day and it's it's important that we're enjoying that and I think that's where the essence is at the moment.
1: But there has been a big fashion not pre-COVID actually um, for large botanicals if you think about some of the prints being produced by people like House of Hackney Mm. so there you know there's great big overscaled ferns and things like that that have been around for three or four years now and I actually think that's possibly more linked to the current um, mania for biophilia that idea that you know, you're know you bringing the outdoors in. And I think probably COVID will exacerbate and accelerate that trend.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. What do you think of that, Philip?
2: Uh, well, just going back to colour, I'm just, I'm struck because um, technology has changed the way we create colour. So, you know, think back to the British Colour Council in the 1930s, and doing color prediction, color prediction was somewhat of a self-fulfilling prophecy because the yarn manufacturers had to create the colors two years in advance for the weavers and the carpet manufacturers. So, if there, by the time the, the designers were doing print collections six months in advance, you know, we, you know, much of the color choices were already mapped out. Um, so, so we're no longer in that position. The color is really open now, we can print anything digitally. So it's changed our attitude. I mean, Christian will know more about this. Maybe there are new restrictions that come in, but um, but we no longer are bound to big companies like ICI, who are creating the dye stuffs and dyeing the yarns over a year in advance.
1: So, So Christian, where do you think we are now in the pattern versus plane cycle? assuming that you think there is a cycle
3: yeah I think I mean planes have always been 90 percent of an interior design scheme uh, and, and it's the pattern that comes in often is cushions or the, the the overall look in the curtains really that gives the power to the, the overall room so it's it's normally it's slightly less pattern and more plain um and uh, if there's a balance i think that might be the balance at the moment. percentage well it, i said originally 90 90% uh, 90 percent plain 10 percent pattern, but that could be changing as well so you sort of 20 30.
1: yes you know. no that's what i was thinking because if we were saying that earlier on we were in this sort of gray beige space a couple of years few years back you know not in the very recent past in fact where everything was plain, you know and perhaps you would have one or two embellished cushions or something but things were not really patterned in that sense no
3: and and you had in in the you know the heyday of sort of the shutters and the shutters took took away all of our lovely fabrics really all together so it's nice to see the shutters are coming down and the fabrics are going back up because we've been through contemporary and contemporary means much less fabric for us so it's nice to have a bit more opulence and i think that's what we're going to enjoy really more fabric
1: and that's probably to do with the cocooning effect that you were talking about earlier as people come come to appreciate their homes more yeah
3: yeah Definitely.
2: I just wanted to make a, a point following on what Christian said about the 90% planes. Because I, I think what I'm, what I'm interested in is that when we go into a room, that's not what we perceive. So the, the impact of pattern on the human perception means that it, it dominates, even if it's only 10%. Even if it's only those cushions in the sea of beige... That, well, especially if it's just those Christians in the sea of Age, it it it, it takes over. It really um, draws the eye. Um, uh, so it, so even though pl- planes are, are dominant physically, the, mentally, it's you know perception is different. So anyway, that was just yeah, that's a good I point. Said, no,
1: it's really interesting. I mean, so why why do you think what is it about the human brain that's that's picking up on that? What is it that we see or that we relate to? That, that makes us continue to focus in on that one piece of pattern in the room? Well, I mean, it's to
2: do with, you know, our, our evolution as a species and how the human brain evolved in the forest environment to to see colour, for instance. A human Humans have a, a much greater response to colour than other animals. And, you know, so we know... What's poisonous? What's good to eat? You know what? What um, you know things that look good to us are generally healthy and uh, you know stimulating. So so we we come to pattern with with all that you know background of human evolution and, and I feel it, it allows us a form of play. You know we we can enjoy that ability that we have. The human brain has. Um, to recognize pattern. Uh, and um, even if we look at a wallpaper or something, we you know we, uh, we can pick out the motifs, we can see the motif, see how the motifs repeat. And, and it's enjoyable uh, and it's a form of play. And then the designer can hide that repeat from us, and we can then get enjoyment out of finding it. Um, or, or not, um, but but it's it's this idea of, of um, confusing the brain, so, so, so it takes longer. We dwell on the pattern. It, if if we can't understand it right away, then it it, it helps us to spend more time with it. Um, this was the whole idea of of uh, in anthropology of of those patterns that um, you know. Um, uh, prevent the evil eye or, you know, prevent the devil or that sort of thing. They confuse the devil. So you, you get all those swirling lines uh, and, and that sort of thing where the, the devil um, follows the lines and isn't able to enter the house. <laughs> you know, that sort of thing.
1: Well, I suppose the fascination of of Drawings by Isha, things like that too. You know, where you can't quite see where it stops and where it starts. So you're you're looking and looking and looking and looking to try and your brain is trying to work out work out the pattern. Do you, would you say that most patterns then are inspired originally? Do they originally come from nature?
2: I, I think that must be the case. Um, that that we look at nature and and nature doesn't repeat, um, certainly not in a rigid way. Um, but but we perceive. Thing that's repeating, we can perceive a row of trees as being repetitive, even though each one is individual. Um, we can perceive the human face as, you know, a pattern, even though every face is different. Um, I, I think that's part of that, that play, that enjoyment. Um, you know, we, the baby very quickly learns a face, um, you know, two eyes and a mouth is instantly almost recognisable.
1: There have been some interesting experiments where they've shown um, very young babies pictures of of human faces, but they've actually muddled up the features. So instead of having eyes, then the nose, then the mouth, they've put the mouth above the nose and the babies almost inevitably will immediately start crying. It's just they don't like it at all. It's not part of what they're expecting and that really upsets them.
2: So, so, I mean, we we must be, as, as adults, we must be responding to pattern in, in similar ways. We, we, you know, we there must be reasons that we like certain wallpapers and not others, or, you know, certain, you know, pattern tiles or whatever, you know, our environment, or things that make us feel comfortable and things that make us feel uncomfortable. So, you know, it, it is part of what the human species is.
1: And I suppose, too, there are there are patterns that occur in nature, aren't there? And even though they don't repeat in the same way as a man-made pattern, we love the patterns that we get when we do things like book matching of stone or, or tessellations in tiles.
2: Yeah, yes, certainly. And, and the modernists were big on this. Uh, so um, e- even though, um, you know, Adolf Loos uh, famously said, you know, um, that that ornament is... is
1: crime uh, or something. Crime is ornament?
2: A, ornament is crime, yes. I mean, he then went and used marble patterns in his buildings, um, like the famous Los House in Vienna, um, which is, is that kind of book-matched marble on the facade. And, and, you know, we do that all the time. People who say they don't have pattern in their homes will have beautiful... You know oak floorboards, or you know um, natural textures everywhere. So I think the human being enjoys pattern. You know, and so it can it can be that natural pattern um, of of wood grain or stone, um, equally as much as as a human manufactured pattern.
1: And do we think that that need for pattern is about? human's requirement for controlling their environment um i think
2: it's about comfort it's about, it's about i mean our our homes our rooms are a background we we, we want them to be stimulating but not overwhelming it's, so it's a very difficult balance when you think of what the designer decorator has to do um, to make a room that looks good on its own, you know you could enter it without people being there and and you know lifts the spirit um no matter what the weather um, and yet um is happy to be the background you know it, it's an amazing feat really when you when you think of what we do with, with you know a simple supposedly simple room you know Four square walls, you know. Um, it, it's, it, you know. Every every room is a challenge, you know. To to
3: make that, that magic happen, you know. When you sit out in nature, or you sit in uh, in the sea, or to me, it's food for my soul, and and I get a really lovely feeling from it. And equally, if I'm at home and I have a lovely piece of artwork, that's food for my soul, and equally fabric and pattern and design I can get up in the morning and, and that's just lovely and I can look at it and I can enjoy it and I think that's what we get out of it it's it's something in our soul and it doesn't matter whose taste what taste it's what you like yourself
1: well it would be a very dull world if we all like the same <laughs> yeah, <I guess>. things <laughs> how,
3: how easy is it to predict
0: when you meet a customer what fabric they're going to choose
3: well, you don't. I mean, we we had a um, a client in here yesterday, and she 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 came in. She was a bit nervous, and and I said, look, just open your mind, and instinctively you choose. Don't just go to what you want. And uh, she chose three designs very quickly, and then she got confused and slightly overawed, and then she lost where she was, and then we came back and we found them again, and uh, those are the designs that she loved. So I think it's you've got to. Let your own instincts take over.
1: So then, I suppose it becomes difficult for the designer if the designer's gut instincts are different to the client's. Yeah, is no, that the skill of the designer to then see the world through the eyes? Yeah, of I mean that the, the, the
3: designer has to be the chameleon. So the the designer has to see you and guide because it is we have too much product in our market. The, they have to guide the client of what their tastes are. And I think good ones are chameleons and they can really see what it is and they build accordingly. So and and of course they have taste.
0: I just want to pick up on what Susie said about controlling the environment, because when you go for geometric or tessellated patterns, surely that is a form of getting some control or order into your
2: pattern. Well well again, that that's if your temperament um feels more comfortable with that more orderly arrangement um, that then that's what you would you will choose. Um, Some people want the baroque, they they want you know curves everywhere. (laughs) Um, So it, it you know there's not one temperament you know And I'm just, it's Gabriele D'Annunzio, the Italian poet who said, um, enchantment is um, madness provoked by art. And I I think that's, for me, that's what the decorators are doing. It's a form of madness, you know, there's no rhyme or reason to it, Um, but you're trying to create a room that's enchanting Um, and you do it through art, but it's, I mean, those three things are linked for me, the enchantment, the madness, and the art. Um, I I think this, (laughs) and and again, it's that, that that, that way of kind of confusing the brain and um, making you take time with things, slowing you down, you know i was just looking today at, at the Brunschweiler Archive, at, at a little, um, it was a, a, a designer's notebook um, from the course they were training uh, you know, on in 1926. And they had a list of terms. And one of them that we don't use often today um, is repose. And I thought, wow, designers looking at repose. And I think maybe that's, again, what, one thing we, we're looking for in our rooms is a, a feeling of repose, a feeling of stillness, calm, especially in today's world.
0: Philip, how important is scale in pattern and its application?
2: Well, scale is is quite interesting. In theory, if if you registered a design legally, it would be the same design at a larger scale, but, but that isn't true of decorating or how people respond to those designs. William Morris, who favored using large designs in small rooms, his acanthus wallpaper was huge, um, really grand scale, and, and he would use that in a small room. Uh, uh, and um, in, you know, by contrast, Oscar Wilde, who you would think would be you know, the more daring of the two, um, said the opposite. It might be personal temperament that determines whether you're a large scale or a small scale person.
0: Where are your rules on pattern, Christian? Um,
3: there aren't really many rules for me, but the, the main rule in all pattern is, is the balance of the design. So the design is balanced, whether it's large scale or small scale, and is easy on the eye. I think that's what I enjoy.
1: I don't know i think I think scale can also be related back to the the size of the room and the use of the room. Sometimes you can use a very large scale pattern in a, in a space when you want that kind of gasp of, of amazement. So if it's a room if it's a, if it's a passing through space or if it, perhaps it's a cloak room where people don't spend much time in there, you can do something very dramatic by using a big scale. but perhaps if it's a room where you want to repose, perhaps that means that you might be looking for something that's a bit more simpatico and calming, comfortable, comfortable. yes, yeah. exactly. I don't know that large scale patterns are necessarily, but then that that also then depends on the scale of the room. If you have an enormous high, tall ceiling, you, you know, a room can take a vast repeat, you know, pattern on a, on a grand scale will look wholly appropriate, but it will look grand. It will be less domestic and cozy yeah, but, yeah, than, I mean, than that's, smaller. That's,
3: that's the drama, yeah. isn't it really? Yes. And, and that's what you're very good at, you know. Not personally, but, <laughs> but, uh, but I think you're very, that's where designers are very good at putting drama where drama needs to be done, whether it be a dining room and often in dining rooms, often in little loos people go quite crazy yeah. and, uh, and, and put very large scale designs in tiny little rooms. So when you go in, you're completely, my Lord. And, but that's, that's what it's about, it's a bit of theater. And so there are places to have theater and there are places to, to be just happy, comfortable family.
1: Yes and I think dining rooms also you're trying to often create a sense of occasion and a sense of you know your guests and it's, it's the sense that everyone's come together for something special and you want that room to be a bit more special and you don't really spend that much time in there. You go in to do a particular thing which is to eat that meal and then you come away again whereas the rooms that you spend more time in like bedrooms and family rooms you want those to be much more calming and therefore I suppose the pattern the patterns you use will tend to be smaller.
2: Mm. I mean, it's very interesting that the idea of drama. I, I'm thinking of the the the, um, the decorator Tony Duquette. Is mm-hmm. that know, you know? Um, he he was Californian, and um, but but very au fait with Europe and European design. Um, but he always had that sense of drama in his rooms. Uh, I, I think Pro- probably British design has drama as well. I mean, you know, theatre is so important to our lives. Um, but, but uh, you know, I, I do think of California and, and maybe because American homes were more modern, they didn't have the drama of the, the period um, to deal with. So they, they needed other forms of drama. Uh, but But I think that is... Yeah, it's just important. And it, it, so again, it's about occasion and it, how a room looks when you enter it, um, whether there are people there or not, and, and atmosphere, you know. The- so that,
1: that, that's an interesting point. Do you think pattern then is all about first impression, given that we were saying earlier that that's immediately what your eye is drawn to, is, is pattern that first, is that the first kick? That we're looking for when we when we employ pattern, I
2: think, and inevitably, yeah, you're, you're drawn to pattern. It, it tells you something immediately, just like we recognise a face or you know, in a crowd, you know, it it the, that the brain is so attuned.
1: You, something you mentioned earlier, Philip, you were talking about um pattern being cognitive play what what did you mean by that
2: well I I mean that sense of enjoyment at at our our skillfulness how skillful the brain is at at recognizing pattern in 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 all our environment so you know we we can play in the sense of hiding a repeat um, you know take so it takes a little bit more time to to figure out what's going on I I was thinking uh, you know from an earlier conversation, you mentioned surrealism. Um, and you know that, that's a form of cognitive play as well. Um, it, it, it's um, cognitive dissonance. So there's a dissonance between the social perception um, and the, the sort of um, artistic convention that's going on. Um, there, there's a beautiful design um, Um, Dolly Mann used it, a decorator from the 1930s. Um, It was designed by by J.P. and J. Baker in 1937 called Salamander, and it's got a a giant lizard crawling up a tree, but the tree has fingers with painted fingernails. So, but you don't see that at first it comes, they look like flowers, and then you realize, no, they're fingers.
1: Oh, wow. (laughs)
2: So it really, really, you know, quite, quite bizarre. They they say that um, you know um, Salvador Dalí, you know, um, was gifted the of this for his Paris flat, um, but but it, it's a very unique design. But but it, it's that thing of um, you know playing with your expectations and. Um, I mean, I think you know, as human beings, we enjoy that. We we enjoy that bit of it's it, it, it play. I mean, it, it, we wouldn't enjoy it if it was overstimulating or disturbing. Um, but 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 a slight disturbance is fine. What are hypotactic patterns? Oh dear, this is my fault. <laughs> being an academic, um, it it isn't something we all need to know, um, but but. Hypotactic patterns, it's a name given to repeats where there's not a, an identical repeat. So you you might have it in tile designs, for instance, where you, you have plain and pattern tiles mixed um, and the pattern tiles aren't all this identical. Um, but each time a pattern tile occurs, um, it gives a sense of a repeat. So... You know, it's an arrangement where there are repeats of similar style, motif, density, colour um, that occur, but, it's, it, but not identical.
1: And I think that that, again, gets back to the play thing, because you, you're immediately trying to see how many different variants you can find. I know I do that sort of thing. If I find myself in a space like that, those famous tiles by Patricia Urkelau? she's done they've they've been used everywhere for the last few years and she does she does exactly what you've just described she has many many patterns um different tiles and they're all very similar in colour, but the design on each one is slightly different. So whenever I find myself in those spaces, I'm always trying to see how many different variations I can spot and whether the variations themselves have been laid out in any particular pattern or whether in fact they're a random arrangement. And the other one I think that's interesting with the hypotactic patterns is where you get, for example, a stripe and it might be the first stripe might be little sprigs of flower and the second stripe might be bows and the third stripe might be I don't know something else faces or vases or something else and you you get that sort of so from a distance it just looks like a stripe but not until you get close do you begin to perceive that it's actually different things
2: yes and again it, it's that play and enjoyment that the the ability to discover something things so you 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 we perceive things instantly we've got an impression um but 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 by using that variation it, it allows you to Spend more time and, and and enjoy what you're seeing at another level. So we, we, you know, again, our vision, you know, there, there's, I mean, academics look at everything through, <laughs> through, through this codified approach, but 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 you know, there's a great deal of interest at the moment in the intimate, in what creates intimacy. Um, so so. We, we, the vision has its intimate scale as well. And, and, you know, academics will measure these things and tell you whether it's four inches or five inches or whatever, (laughs) whichever amount of space, you know, makes something take on its intimate perspective. But but, but when we see things up close, that's where, you know, we're used to, you know, the human embrace or whatever. Those things are seen differently. They're emotionally perceived differently. So if we see a grand room at a large scale, we don't have that same emotional involvement with it. But if we're sitting on a sofa with a cushion, that cushion might evoke our emotions much more strongly. It's good. Awesome. good to keep
3: learning.
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely.
0: What would you say to designers as the best way to encourage their clients to, to be accepting of pattern?
3: I don't think you accept pattern. I think it's what your eye falls in love with and And that could be pattern, that could be plain, but not necessarily plain. I don't think. I think in the end it's what you're what you really love so it's going back to the to the client that came in, she didn't know what she loved, and then she'd started to fall in love with things, and I think that's what you it's just like a really lovely painting, and if you like it, if it's good on your eye and it you will feel it in yourself and i and I think. You've got to be comfortable at home and you've got to enjoy being home. And I think what we've discussed is that there are areas where you can have drama and there's areas where you have quiet, really. And, uh,
0: and areas where you can have fun. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly.
1: I also think with, with clients, quite often they, when they first, if it's the first project that they've done, they be very unsure of their own taste. Mm-hmm. And it can be really a wonderful experience to watch someone actually find out what they like because they often do not know and part of the job of the designer is to is to hold the hand and to guide and to sort of say, well, you know, if, you, if you're responding to that, let's try it. Let's do yeah. it. Yeah. Let's, let's push that boundary a little bit.
3: And I think, you know, that's you as designers are helping everybody to learn about design and to learn about their own preferences. And I think that's a perfect designer.
1: So what do you see for the future?
3: I think there's going to be more pattern. We've come out of this sort of solitary area of very sort of quite bland design, quite bland color. And I think we're going to really now, having been through quite a difficult period, we want more enjoyment. And that enjoyment will come from color, from design, from pattern. And um, something that we can just have good times again, really.
1: Do you think that those designers, I'm thinking about um, Kit Kemp and, um, Bitter Human, for example, who are very skilled at mixing hmm. patterns in a very um, eclectic way. Is that, a, is that a trend that you see? Yeah, it
3: is a trend. It's a very, it's quite a difficult trend. Kit hard, Kemp, hard Kit to Kemp, pull Kemp off. does it beautifully. Yes, she does. But uh, when you come in and you see this array of different design and pattern all mixed up together, if she, and she pulls it off, it is quite lovely. Quite lovely.
1: Yes, no, it's special, but it could be a disaster in the wrong yeah, hands. Yeah, well, probably in my hands it would be. <laughs> <laughs> Christian, in, in, amongst, in amongst your amazing family archive, what is the most treasured f- patterned fabric that, that, that you have?
3: I had quite a personal large archive of Arthur H. Lee goodies in two big suitcases. And uh, Philip, bless him, came down to look at it all, really. And with his, all his knowledge, he could tell me everything of what it was and not the value. I wasn't interested in the value. I was interested in in the history of it. Mm. And it was at a time uh, when Jilly was alive, really. And I brought Jilly in to meet Philip and Philip was very good with her because a lot of people couldn't, they knew that she was terminally ill. And Philip said nothing, very quietly. And we looked through all all the designs and Jilly just saw one little thing. And she said, oh, I, I love that. I love that. And she pulled it out, and I sort of looked at Philip, and what earth is that? And it was a sampler for Jackie Onassis at the White House. And, uh, and I just thought, how, how lovely is that? So that's Jilly's little piece of art.
2: It's, it's, um, so it was created, I think, 1963 for Blair House, which is next door to the White House. It's the guest house for, for people visiting the White House. Uh, and it's very special, it's a, a print and embroidery design. So it's combined print and embroidery. So Arthur H. Lee was looking at ways to keep color and pattern, but decrease the amount of hand work, hand embroidery, because all done by hand, um, in, in a length. Um, so this was a very clever, very, beautiful interplay of the two skills um, which just worked perfectly Mm, and and yes Kennedy Mm. as she was then um, chose that for decorating Blair House.
1: Thank you so much to Christian and thank you so much to Philip. That was just a tour de force. My takeaway from that really is that I'm going to always approach pattern now with enchantment madness and in the pursuit of art.
0: Thank you, Christian and Philip. That was a fascinating conversation. I learned so much. We'd also like to show our support for series partners, Parkside Architectural Tiles. You can find out more about Parkside at parkside.co.uk. And if this conversation has piqued your interest in pattern, then I'd highly recommend you take Parkside's REBA-approved CPD, An Introduction to Tiling Patterns, Symmetry, Repeat Patterns, and Tessellations. There's more on the Parkside website about that too. Finally, do please follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Interior Design Business Pod and on LinkedIn at the Interior Design Business Podcast. This episode of the Interior Design Business is a Wildwood production.